Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. As I, uh, as I mentioned before, I think part of my excitement and expectation around 2022, around every New Year's actually, comes from hoping that as we get closer and closer and move forward into the century, that we'll see more and more like tech-related stuff. I know it's probably just me, but um, anyone that was born before like 2000, 80s and 90s, uh, you can see where the movies of the 80s and 90s kind of built that expectation. Uh, really quick, does anyone remember, uh, of course you do, but Back to the Future? Anyone see it? Yeah. So Back to the Future promised us like flying cars, which we don't have, but we do have cars that you can take your hands off the steering wheel, but depending on what state you can't because you might get a ticket. Uh, they promised us hoverboards, which we don't have, but we do have the little uh, segue things that you can roll on. They promised us, and this was really cool, the, the shoelaces that tie themselves. Anyone remember that from the movie? Yeah, we don't have that. I do have sneakers that light up, but it's not quite the same thing. So I was kind of expecting a lot of tech stuff from that. And then anyone remember the, uh, the Terminator movies? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator, I'll Be Back. Now, these are the movies that promised us like a robot uprising. And it's not that I want a robot uprising, but I want robots that do more than like Siri and Alexa, because other than traffic or turning on your lights, they're kind of useless. But it promised us that there would be this whole Skynet thing and robots would rise up and all this stuff. That hasn't happened yet. And then my favorite, actually second favorite movie of all time, of like all time in the history of movies, uh, is The Matrix. Did anyone see the new Matrix yet? Anyone? Okay, I watched it yesterday. I was happy with it. But this is really cool because it promised us that this reality, just a dream, doesn't exist, right? I know for some people that's kind of weird, but and I know I'm dating myself with this, but did anyone remember watching that TV show Dallas with like J.R. Ewing back in the day? Yeah, okay. Do you remember the season where J.R. Ewing got shot? And then the whole season where they were trying to figure out, and then the next season, spoiler alert, it was just a dream. It wasn't real. It, wa- it wasn't reality. That's what the Matrix promised us about all of this. Not reality. And so I have these like, high, granted, I really wish everything that had happened over the last two years was not reality, but it was uh, painfully real. But I have these high expectations of what we should see as we move closer into the future because the, the, the tech, the movies and all that kind of stuff kind of set these expectations and we're not even close to there. So it's a little bit of a disappointment to be 22 years into this century and like we have none of that stuff. We have watches that you can make phone calls from. Yay, Dick Tracy, again, dating myself, but that's about it. Right? I think one of the other disappointments that I have, and it's probably not just me, uh, is the fact that I thought that by the time that we hit 20-something, right, that the church would be a little bit more influential in the culture. 
a little bit more influential than it currently is right now. That, that since we've been at this, I mean, those movies are from 30, 40 years ago, and so we haven't reached that. Understandable. But we've been at this church thing for 2,000 years. And the reality is, if you go back and look, 12 guys turned the entire world on its ear and influenced the world because of what Jesus Christ meant to them. Just 12 guys. Entire world. The whole history of mankind shaped by their passion for Jesus Christ. And today, we have millions of Christians, but instead, we're being shaped by the culture instead of us going out and letting our passion for Jesus have an impact on the culture. So it's a little bit disappointing because I figured, you know, maybe we would be a little bit further along. And I think part of the problem, part of the reason why we're not as far along is because many Christians really just don't realize what it means to be a Christian, like who we are in Christ, what that means, and what that looks like. So bear with me for a minute. We're going to jump into a new series this morning, but before we do, uh, I want to lay some groundwork because everyone that becomes a Christian, right, starts off at the same place. We all start off, if this is the starting line, the moment we become a Christian and we put our faith in Christ and we step across the line of faith, we're all at the exact same spot, even though we may have done it at different times, different ages, different stages in our life, right? Because this is what Paul tells us. He says that in 2 Corinthians, if any person is engrafted in Christ, that means that we are now a part of the body of Christ, the Messiah, then that person is a new creation, a new creature Altogether, the moment that we step across the line of faith, we become this entirely new thing that has never existed before. He says the old, our previous moral and spiritual condition, has passed away. We kind of leave that behind us because now God fills us with his Holy Spirit. And then behold, there is this fresh and this new thing. We are this entirely new creation that has the spirit of the living God in us. That's what drove those 12 men to do the miraculous things they did and impact an entire planet, not just their communities, an entire planet, because they experienced this. And they're like, we don't care what anyone else says. We have to tell people about it. We have to celebrate it. We have to rejoice in what Christ has done for us. And so anyone that becomes a Christian, we are all in that same place. We all start off at like the same starting line. But then there's this long track that we're on that it varies by individual because for some of us, the, 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 the killing of that and, and getting rid of the, the spiritual condition for like me is a lot that God had to work on and is still working on or whatever. For some of you, there wasn't a whole lot, so you progressed along this track a little bit further and you're a lot further along than people who may have been Christians for longer periods of time than you because you embraced it. But we're all on this journey, once we cross the line, then we're all on this track of being transformed into the image of Christ. Because Paul tells us also in Second Corinthians that we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Another reference to the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. 
both God. And he says that, hey, we're being transformed into the image of Christ, not so that we look like him when you look at us, but so that we live like him, we respond like him, we treat people the way that he treated people, we show the compassion that he had for people. And again, it depends. Some of you, way further along on that journey, some of us, God had to send us back and we had to repeat the lesson over and over because we have issues and stuff to overcome. But we're all on this, this, this track of being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ so that we love people like Jesus did, we treat people like Jesus did, we talk to people like Jesus did, even the people that hate us and, and don't think nice about us. And we're not going to get to the end of this track. A lot of people think, well, I've reached that point. According to the Bible, we're not going to get to the end of this track until Christ returns. So this is a lifelong journey that we're on that takes us into eternity. Because Paul says in Ephesians, and his gifts, meaning the ones Jesus gave to the church, they were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, special messengers, some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders, some evangelists, preachers of the gospel, traveling missionaries, some pastors, shepherds of the flock and teachers. So he created these roles, gifted through the Holy Spirit these people, so that his intention was the perfecting full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that's us, that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body, the church. So he gave all these gifts so that as we're on these tracks, we use these gifts to build up the church. And he says, we're going to keep doing that until we all attain oneness in the faith and the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God. That's not going to happen until Christ returns. So once we step across the line of faith, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. We're all on this process of getting transformed into the image of Christ. While we're on this process, we're supposed to use our gifts and our talents to build up and edify the church so the church can do the work that God has called it to do. Paul says, uh, First Peter says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So once we become a Christian, we're all on this journey, right? We're all on this this track to kind of be transformed into God's image. And God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can use our gifts and our talents to edify and to build up the church. But because we're all on different points, on this scale, some of us don't use our gifts at all. Some of us uh, are, are fighting against using our gifts. Some of us are just against even going to, you know, the Sunday celebrations and gathering with the people of God as the church. But this is what God calls us to do. And we're supposed to celebrate and rejoice, not just that we're being transformed, just the fact that we're on this scale, we're on this journey. We should be excited that the creator of the universe put his spirit in us. Paul says in Romans, he says that, so then those who are living the life of the flesh, catering to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature, can't please or satisfy God or be acceptable to him. Because God put us on this track to get rid of our carnal nature that says, I'm going to be selfish, I'm going to be all about Floyd. He's transforming Floyd 
so that I'm more like Christ, so that I want to help others and be there for others and love others and treat others the way Christ did. But if I want to stick to it's all about me, living for my flesh, Paul says, well, that's never going to be acceptable to God. He even says this. He says, but you, meaning the church, the Christians, you're not living the life of the flesh. You're living the life of the Spirit if the Holy Spirit of God really dwells within you. See, if we have God's Holy Spirit, we don't have to give in to these things that say, I want to treat people the way Floyd used to. Instead, we can treat people the way that God wants us to. Even though I may not think it's right, but I have God's Holy Spirit that says, yeah, they are deserving of love and respect. You can respond in a way, you can treat people in the way that Christ used to treat people, even when I, Floyd, have to struggle to do that, right? So we're, we're, we're spiritually, once we step across this line of faith, no matter where we are on this journey, if we're allowing God's Holy Spirit to guide us, then we're fully made alive in Christ. And that means, that means this, uh, that no matter what, every time that we face a struggle, a hardship, God's Holy Spirit is sitting in there whispering in my ear, hey, Floyd, I got this. So when I face, and I have in the past many times, financial struggles and hardships, have no idea how the bills are going to be paid, and I've shared this before, you go from making six figures a year to making $300 every two weeks. And I'm like, God, that math doesn't add up. And God's Holy Spirit goes, Floyd, I got this. When we're facing uh, uh, medical difficulties or health issues or even mental issues where the stress and the anxiety of everything we've gone through over the last 24 months is weighing on us, we're like, I have no idea how I'm going to make this. The Holy Spirit is saying, you can do this because I got you. The very Spirit of God inside of us, helping us, equipping us, lifting us up to be able to deal with those hardships and challenges. But then I I, I look at situations like what's going on in our country now and the division and all that stuff, and I just look at not even those that don't know God in the church, the level of division and anger and animosity people have towards people who don't think like them or believe like them. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Where is, where is, where is that Holy Spirit, the same one that's in me, that's in you, that's in them, that's in all of us, that ties us all together? And even though we're at different places on this track, is moving us all in the same direction to be like Christ. And it makes me ask, how, how do we fix this? Right? Because the Holy Spirit of God is saying, hey, I'm trying to make you, 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 everyone who calls themselves a Christian, I'm trying to move you along the same plane and get you to the same place. But then I see, and we all see, people who claim to be Christians that are given more to their fleshly acts and the way they talk to people and the way they treat people than responding from the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is what uh, they were facing uh, when we get to the book of Zechariah. If you have a Bible and you want to pull it out, open it up to Zechariah chapter 1. Uh, it is the second to last um, minor prophet listed in the Old Testament before you get to the New Testament. Um, and the whole theme of the book of Zechariah is 
everything that the church needs today. Because the theme of the Zechariah, uh, uh, the first eight, I think it's the first eight chapters, the theme is a call to the people of God to return to God. To go back to doing what God has called us to do, to go back to putting God first, to go back to focusing on accomplishing the task that God has called us to do. Now, in that day, and we'll talk more about that next week, in that day, the task was, hey, you guys need to go and rebuild the temple. In Jerusalem, go and reestablish the culture, go and reestablish uh, uh, the religious system and the sacrifices and the worship of me, put me back at the center. That's what they were called to do in Zechariah's day. In our day, the call is not for us to rebuild the temple, but to get back to the work of building God's kingdom, of sharing his word of making sharing the gospel the priority. And I see all the time where different pastors, what is your church going to focus on this year? What is your theme? What are you going to do? What is this, this, this? And the answer should always be, it doesn't matter how you do it. It may look different in every congregation, in every community. Sharing the gospel, telling people the good news about Jesus Christ, letting people know that our hope is in Jesus Christ. So that was the, 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 the major theme that God started off with in Zechariah. And then the last couple of chapters, he focuses on this. He says, look to the Messiah. He reiterates to them that, hey, that Jesus, we know on this side of history, it's Jesus, that the Messiah is coming. And the work that you're doing is to set the plane for his return. Now, for us, it's not so much to look to the Messiah, but it's to finish the work that the Messiah has called us to do and look to his return. Because we already know that we're past his first coming. And now we're ready for his second coming. And it all starts with a call to spiritual renewal. So in Zechariah chapter 1, this is what it says, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was angry with your ancestors. Now normally, when we start a new series... I like to kind of give you guys the background on it so you know historically that it's true because all of this takes place within human history. So I'd like for us to understand where. I like to give you uh, who the people are uh, and why it's relevant to us today, even though it was written, you know, over 2,500 years ago. And, and just for the sake of time, though, I'll focus on that next week. Give, give us all that background stuff. Because today I wanted to focus on the very first thing that God says to Zechariah. Zechariah says, hey, here's, uh, here's me, here's who God called. And the very first thing he says is that, therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, where it says Lord Almighty, it's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the covenant name of God, Jehovah. And even though it says Almighty, uh, it's not the word Shaddai, which we normally associate with God Almighty. It's Jehovah, Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, meaning uh, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of sovereign over everything. So he says, this is what the Lord, who is sovereign, Lord of hosts over everything, says, return to me, and I will return to you. And this confirms that, hey, the people of God, Israelites, they strayed from their relationship with God. And God allowed it 
He allowed them to. He said, okay, if that's what you want, have at it. Then I'm going to step back, and you get to experience what life without me is like. And so nations came in and plundered them, destroyed them, killed many of them, dragged them off into captivity. But then God stepped in and made a way for them to return to Jerusalem with the instruction, rebuild the temple and reestablish your relationship with me. But they got there and people around them who were hating on them uh, made it too hard. They had a lot of government uh, issues where some of the government was like, nope, you can't do this. Stop, close your doors. And another government came in and said, yeah, you can. Go ahead. I've researched the record. That's fine. And that kind of sounds like the last couple of years for us where there's people who are complaining about the church, hating about the church. Some churches close your doors. There's still some churches, believe it or not, in the United States haven't opened since 2020. Still doing stuff online. There are ones that just were hoping to open, but then because of Omicron, they, they, they won't be able to open again. And meanwhile, there are other ones like us who have been, you know, since June of 2020, we've been just going like gangbusters because that's where we live. But there are so many of the people who just said, you know, it's too hard. You know, people are complaining about us. People are hating on us. So they stopped doing the thing that God had specifically sent them there to do and called them there to do. And they not only stopped doing that thing, they're strayed from... They didn't just stop saying, okay, we're not going to rebuild the temple, but we're still going to worship God. They were like, well, we're not doing the temple, so so much for this God thing, and just went off to do other stuff. And it's the same thing that when you get to the book of Revelation that Jesus warns the church about. Because in Revelation chapter 2, and if you've been following along, I know some of you haven't, but Mark has been teaching through the book of Revelation on Thursday nights, and I think that's going to resume on the 20th. Uh, so he's been given a lot of insight on this because we're way past this. Uh, but it says in chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Right, And I know that's kind of language, but uh, when it says to the angel, it's not angel like an angelic being. The word angel means messenger, because it doesn't make sense for Jesus to write a letter to John and say, hey, John, I need you to go tell this to the angel. Because Jesus is sovereign over the angels. And most theologians believe it's a word messenger that was specifically used for those pastors or bishops or people who were over the church. And where it says he holds the seven stars, in the previous verses it says the seven stars are the messengers of those churches, or the angels, and the lampstands are the churches themselves. Not the, not the small congregation, but to the church in Pittsburgh, to the church in Philadelphia, to the church, meaning the congregations, the people of God that make up the churches in New York City, to the churches in Detroit, to the church in Ephesus. And he says, write this. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. I know you've tested those who claim to be apostles or not and have found them false. So he says, hey, I know you guys are working hard. I know you set up food banks. I know you're, you're trying to feed the poor. I know you're persevering. I know that wicked people are coming in and you're not standing for it. I know people are bringing in false teachers, but you're checking it against the word and you're like, we're not having that. And he says, that's good. 
He says, I know you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary, and that's good. But then he contrasts that, and he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And most of us remember it from the old King James, you have forsaken your first love. Right? And, and, and many of us can remember this, because uh, I remember it when, 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 like, when I first started uh, dating Christy, like I was, don't do this, but I would be at work eight to ten hours, six of those were on the phone with her. Right? Uh, in, our, in our church, um, I was the uh, event coordinator, so I would plan events, some small events, like, hey, a bunch of people getting ready to go out to Applebee's, uh, a bunch of people going to the movies, big events, retreats, all this stuff. And I can remember one night, I don't remember what the event was, but it was like a mid-sized event, 30, 40, 50 people there, and I didn't show up. And I got a call from the executive pastor. He's like, hey, Floyd, this event you planned, it's going great, but where are you? And I was like, do I really need to be there? And he's like, you don't need to be, but why? What are you doing? And I was like, I'm on the phone with Christy. (laughs) And he was like, silent for, you know, not uncomfortable, but a few seconds. And then he was like, all right, have a good night. And I could hear him say to the lead pastor before he hung up, we're not going to see Floyd tonight. Because he knew, hey, more important than hanging out with them was spending time with her. And some of us can remember that when we fell in love, we we were late to work, we missed days, we did all this stuff because we focused our time and attention on the person that we loved. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I have this against you because you have forsaken the love that you had at first. All those things that you were doing, you have made them a priority, but you're not doing them out of love for me. And here's the kicker, because he says, consider how far you have fallen. In other words, on that scale, that we're being made into the image of Christ, when we forget our first love and just do the deeds without love for Christ, we've kind of gone backwards. We've fallen from where we were. And it's worse because he says, if you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And again, I don't like to get into the whole, can you lose your salvation conversation? But what Jesus says here is, if you don't repent, repent meaning it's a sin, then I'm going to come remove your church. Because that's what the lampstand is. That's what he defines it as at the end of chapter 1. It's the church. And then later in these verses, he even says, he goes on and he says, um, if you aren't victorious in doing these things I asked you to do, it's going to have an impact on your time in heaven. Right? So uh, he makes it pretty clear that the people of God, it's a priority. We need to make it a priority to return to him. Because not only does this prove that, um, that people strayed from their relationship with God, it also shows that we have the ability, just like they did, to turn back to God. It doesn't, it doesn't take, well, we have to wait, or what's God going to do? We have to wait until God like, literally turns us around and you know, kind of gives us a kick in the butt to move in the right direction. It's on us to do it. 
We can take steps to return to God. We can take steps to, to get back to the work that God has called us to do. We can take steps to make him a priority again. We can take steps to make Jesus our first love. So this is, this is uh, what we're going to do so that we can have a positive influence in our communities. We have no say over the entire you know, church in America or in the world. But we can have a say in what we do going forward, how we interact with people, and how we're going to turn and get back to the task that God has us on, moving along the track that he has us on, to do the work that he has called us to do. So in order to do that, um, Mark Berkshire and I uh, created uh, a 21-day devotional. Now, I have to share this because I'm sure... I'm going to hear about it. Um, this devotional, there's nothing special about it. It's just printed. We had it spiral bound to make it easier to use. Um, just hold that thought for a minute. Part of the problem is when we started working on this was beginning of December. By the time we finished working on it, it was like right before Christmas. So to get these printed, I kind of went over budget a little bit. And I'm watching the eyes of the board go like, how much over budget? You don't want to know. Um, over budget. I do realize now, though, that it would have been, we could have got it for a third of the price if I had just printed them off on our computer, prayed for the ink, prayed for the paper, printed them off and just taken it to them, would have been a third of the price. But trust me, it's worth it. So I'm going to ask uh, Gary or Kevin, can one of you guys come up here? And just pass these out. Um, to people, and while you're passing them out, let me explain what they are. Uh, the idea is, in this devotional, and if you're watching online and you want a copy, I think we'll have some extras, uh, we'll mail them out to you, just let me know. Um, the idea is, is that every day, for the next 21 days, you spend, it's less than three minutes, I think there's one thing in there that's maybe three minutes long, every other one is like one to two minutes um, reading through this and spending time in prayer. The first seven days are really high spiritual because they focus on understanding, looking at, and, 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 and getting an idea of the spirituality aspect of God by focusing on some of the visions that God revealed to people in the Bible. And then after that seven days, the next seven days focuses on prayer just really praying for people other than ourselves who are going through stuff that we can't even begin to ma- imagine. And then the last seven days focuses on just really how do we live out what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us? How do we actually apply that to our lives? Is there a way to do that? So that by the time you get to the end of the 21 days, uh, if you start tomorrow, uh, we'll end up at the 30th of January. So that by the end of this month, we're like, yeah, we're, we're dead on. We're ready to do everything that God has called us to do. And it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't seem like, uh, again, think about it. It doesn't seem like what God has called us to do, you need a lot of money to do it because you don't, or you need hundreds of people to do it because you don't. Because the broke, homeless, being chased from their homes, businesses closed, apostles turned the world upside down. Just by saying, hey, I'm in, God. I want to do what you called me to do. And God isn't telling us that we need to change the world. 
He's just saying, are we willing to have an impact on our community, our workplaces, and the people in our homes? Are we willing to get back to doing what he's called to do? And I get, some of us are frustrated, um, we're tired, and we're like, hey, uh, you know what, there's, there's been so much going on in, in, in our culture. I don't even want to talk to people about God. I don't want to, I don't want to bring up God because people, they get mad at you. They start blocking you on Facebook and all that stuff. And it happens. But let me, let me, let me, let me ask you these three questions and that will kind of help us guide on whether or not you feel like, yeah, this is something that we should do or could do. First question is this. Okay. So Jesus said to love others like we love ourselves. We can all agree, right? That's not the question, but we all agree. Love others like we love ourselves. So how can we love hateful, self-centered, mean-spirited people? Like how are we supposed to love these people that are mad at us? Uh, How are we supposed to love these people that hate us? How are we supposed to love these people that the moment you say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm this or that, they start talking bad about you, whatever, and here's the answer the Holy Spirit. And spoiler alert, the answer to all these questions is the Holy Spirit. All right, just just letting throwing that out there. Um, so uh, here's the next question. How can we fulfill the Great Commission in a world that is so opposed to Christ and the Christians? Because the Great Commission is the standing command from Jesus to go into all the world, make disciples, in other words, share the gospel with them so that they get on this track, they're filled with God's Holy Spirit, and they're being transformed into the image of Christ. And when it says make disciples, it doesn't mean bring them to Bible study or church. It means that we interact with them love them like Jesus, treat them like Jesus, so that they began to see it, and then the Holy Spirit lives it out in them. But how can you do it in a world that is so opposed to Christ and so opposed to Christians? You guys know what the answer is, right? The Holy Spirit. And then here's the last question. So if we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit to be more like Christ, then who can help us return to God and make Christ our first love? The Holy Spirit. That's the whole idea, is that the Holy Spirit would move us along, that we would return to uh, understanding who we are in Christ, get back on track to doing, just like in Zechariah, doing the work that God has called us to do, to build his kingdom, regardless of what's going on in the community, to the point where we can still have an impact on the community to the point where we're still sharing the love of Christ with people and our families and in this community. Let me show you this as the band comes up really quick. Because I know we talked about this earlier, that there were 43 churches planted. I am not a numbers guy. I don't like numbers. I don't like uh, when churches say, here's how big my church is, or here's the whatever, and here's the numbers. But that's not why I'm sharing this. Why I'm sharing this is because, I don't know if you guys can see it, the number 43 up at the top, that's the number of new churches that were started in 2021. The number below that, 8,725, those churches were started at different times on different you know Sundays throughout the year. But the collective attendance for the first time on those, those initial Sundays where they first started, uh, for all 43 churches, over 8,700 people, which is an average about 200 people for church. Some were way smaller, some were way bigger, but an average about 200 and something people. Those numbers mean absolutely nothing. The numbers to the left do. 
because 56 decisions were made for people to commit their lives for Christ, and 44 of those people said, I want to be baptized right now. And the numbers really don't matter, because to God, each of those is a name of a person who has now stepped across the line of faith. He filled them with his spirit, and they're being moved on that track, made into the image of Christ. That's what matters. And we're told in the Bible that for every single one of those people that made a decision to commit their lives to Christ, that heaven celebrated and rejoiced. There was like a a Holy Spirit throw down as each person said, hey, I want to step across that line of faith and commit my life to Christ. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand and we're going to uh, we're going to sing a song because I think in addition to hopefully this devotional helping us, uh, I think going back to, uh, anyone remember when people used to come to church and churches were crowded and, and it wasn't about, hey, because they're singing the newest music, they were singing like hymns, they had um, like no disrespect whatsoever, but I can remember when I came here, we had I think five elderly women across here, someone at the piano who was older than all of them, but people were rejoicing and just being able to celebrate Christ together. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And then we're going to pray. Amen, God. And we, we realized that over the last year or two that many of us have been blinded by the circumstances of what's going on in the world. And we just pray that over the next 21 days that we can get back on track to doing the work that you have called us to do exalting your name.